Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. listening to another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're talking June as well as the moving documentary Stray, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And what an episode we have in store for you today. Oh, mama. Or Mama, or Mama G. Who's Mama G? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, June is the feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. That's right. June is directed by Denise Villeneuve, who did Blade Runner 2049, of course, and mm. Arrival, both visually spectacular movies, with a screenplay by Villeneuve. John Spates, who did Passengers and Doctor Strange, hmm. and Eric Roth, who did Forrest Gump and the most recent A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. couple of classics in there. June stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, and rounding out the cast is Dave Bautista and Zendaya. What a cast. A list cast of thousands in there. So let's talk about the story first. Mm. It's all about that spice. All about that spice. About that spice. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do that. <laughs> this vital element that everyone in the universe is chasing after. The emperor of this world has assigned the noble house Atreides, who live in the beautiful planet Caladan. Wasn't mm. that beautiful? Oh my gosh. Oh. To relocate to the desert planet Arrakis. 
to oversee harvesting of the spice. Yeah, like a desert change. There's a sea mm. change, tree change, but these guys went yeah. for a desert change. And they don't look happy about it either, do they? Don't look particularly happy, especially how the story transpires and the events that happen around yeah. them. So it's all about an intergalactic power struggle between all these different houses mm. set on a hostile planet with like searing heat, monster sandworms mm. and hurricane sandstorms. Those sandworms were terrifying. Oh, I can't wait to talk about them. Can't wait to talk about them. Okay, let's just hold tight before we talk about worms. Mm-hmm. It also explores the impacts of colonisation, yeah. doesn't it? And the chaos that comes with colonisation, which of course um, have strike similarities with the colonisation of our own history right across the mm. globe. So mm. there's a lot of like holding up the mirror to real world in this film, Mm -hmm. isn't there? Yep. And the main character, undoubtedly, in this film is the planet known as June, Arrakis. Mm. Yeah. And the natives call it June, affectionately. That's that's how they Mm. refer to it in the film. Now, as someone who barely remembers the 1984 adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel starring Kyle MacLachlan, have you seen that one? No, that was my next question. Mm. I, well... I've seen the first 20 minutes, so I think you can hardly say that I've seen the (laughs) film. And all I took out of it, because it was completely incomplete viewing, was that it was very 80s. Yes, oh my goodness. (laughs) At least the special effects are better in this one. Oh, hands down. (laughs) I like that in this version, there is a nice amount of exposition that sets up the players Mm. and the lay of the land. Did you feel that was well done or a bit heavy-handed? I thought the, the story's exposition was done really well. I completely agree with you, because it was masked in the education that Paul receives Mm. about the planet. So we learn along with him. So I found that to be a really good tool to communicate what is such so many complex layers to the story and the history of the people and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I'm on the same page with you there. Yeah, and I think you really need that because the source material like this, you know, sci-fi novels have such an intricate world-building to them Mm. and it's a lot to fit on screen. So you need a little bit of explanation. And this part one, as it is, because we know – now Mm. that they've greenlit a part two, which we'll get into, there's all these things that are constantly referred to and teased on and this Mm. world building and understanding all the houses, all the people, their culture, where they come from, you know, all the themes associated with this. There's things alluded to like desert powers. Like what's (laughs) desert power? How do you harness that? Who has desert power? So there's all these really interesting layers to this story um, that they explore and exposition plays like a huge, huge part of that. Just expanding on that word tease that you used, Mm -hmm. do you think it was too much of a tease? Because obviously part two has now been greenlit, but Mm. I wonder what would have happened if that hadn't have been greenlit because this movie as a standalone, do you think it's effective enough? That is a very good question. That's something I've been grappling with while thinking about this film all week since Mm. we saw it because it was a huge gamble to have only had one part of a two-part story Mm. greenlit and to make choices about only going so far into the story because it is incredibly incomplete as a story arc. You are left Mm. hanging, you are left teased. I think it does a really good job of hooking you in, getting you excited, setting the lay of the land and educating you about the complex layers. But it did leave me wanting more but mm. in a good way or a bad way, how did you feel about it? Yeah, a bit of both. A bit of both. That's what was confusing. I yeah. thought, oh, this is not giving me enough of what I want in a standalone film. Yes. But as a two-parter, yeah, I'm super pumped for the next one. Like, bring it on. Mm. I mean, 
Although there's some action in this film, it really is a slow build in terms of the story and it's two and a half hours long. Two and a half hours, which is so common these days, isn't it? How many films are there that are less than two hours? I probably count them on one hand. Kids films? (laughs) Kids films, indeed. Although there are quite a lot of kids films that go on and on. Like Home Alone is quite a long movie. Anyway, this is a tangent I didn't think we'd go on. (laughs) But you are generally right. Kids films are shorter. Sci-fi films are generally longer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And a part of the story is also Paul's coming of age, you know, set against Mm. things like family rivals, uh, tribal clashes, and obviously social oppression. And just to build on that, it somehow is both epic in scale and scope and so intimate in its characters' plights and relationships, Mm. this film, isn't it? Do you think it developed all of the characters well enough? Well, without spoiling too much, some of the characters you don't get to interact with for long, which I was really surprised. There's quite a lot Mm. of bloodshed in Mm. in this film. I do think we need more, but then again, it's a casualty of making Mm. a part one without having it fully told all in all. I think we didn't get enough in terms of the villains Mm. of the piece. Like we got a lot from the heroes and the stars and, you know, I loved that. Mm. And I really enjoyed these characters. I really did. Yeah. But in terms of the villains, I was like, why... Why do we need to be terrified of these guys? What's I mean, I know, like they they did show some violence against the people of mm. June and all that kind of thing, but in terms of motivation, mm. what were they about? Yeah, that was lacking. But were you terrified by the villains? Yeah. Again, I Dave guess Batista, so. Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, he was yes, okay. fucking I'll- terrifying. And did some weird shit. <laughs> I'll give you Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> yeah. But I guess is it one of those things where a villain usually sits back, lets the minions do stuff, mm. it all goes tits up, and then they come in and present themselves later. I feel like, again, we're not going to see them rear their head in any big villainous pl- sort of ploit mm. until part two, which leaves you high and dry a little bit. Mm. So I agree villains were a little bit undercooked, but they genuinely are in these films, which is a shame. Villains are so hard to get right. So the director, Denis Villeneuve, obviously had a plan with all these characters and pieces. We're going to see it evolve, as you said, in the second film. Let's talk about him as a director for Mm. a second. You know, he went from crime thrillers, Prisoners and Sicario, Mm. which were great films. Amazing. And then really, really hit his stride with Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. And so we can see here now that he has a real affinity for grand sci-fi tales, you know, that are also character-driven. This is what he was born to do, to to film Dune, to tell that story. It's always a project that he has said he wanted to do. Mm. So the stars aligned. It was his fate. It was a lot about your fate in this film. Mm. To make Dune was his fate. And just to echo your sentiment, he tells stories about humanity on a grand scale yep. and what a canvas Dune is for a filmmaker like him. Absolutely. One thing I found interesting about the making of this film is that he has a policy of only using one camera on his films. What? Really? Yeah. Even in Blade Runner 2049. Wow. The coverage is incredible. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, and Roger Deakins, mm. who was his cinematographer on Blade Runner 2049, mm felt very strongly about that as well. They're very aligned in that. Now, he's got a different cinematographer on this film, an Aussie called Greg Fraser, who we'll talk about later. Mm. But, yeah, this was actually the first time that he was forced to have multiple camera units to collect the footage that he needed because of the scale of this film and because of the time frame that he had to get it done in. So why do you think that he traditionally only uses one camera at a time? 
I guess that's so you can have complete control over what you're filming. I mean, I'd seen an interview with Roger Deakins where he reluctantly uses a second camera unit sometimes, Mm. but he storyboards the crap out of it so that everything is done completely to his specifications. So I guess it's a control thing. It means they can control their vision better. You know who else storyboards their film to an inch of its life? James Gunn, he said that as well. Mm. I find it so fascinating how directors work to try Mm. and visually tell their story. I mean, I can't imagine there only being one camera used at a time for Dune. So I'm glad that he broke his mould, his usual Mm. way of making a film because what we were treated to here was just immense, just immense. Immense, huge, grand. You're going to hear a lot of these words through this episode. Love those buzzwords. They're making me all tingly inside. (laughs) Another thing that is grand and monumentous, there's another Mm. good word, is the Hans Zimmer score in this film. Oh, isn't it just delicious? Delicious. Oh, Lee, you and these buzzwords today, you're <laughs> going to run out at some point. Can you imagine, though, anyone else tackling the film score no. than Hans Zimmer? Yeah, no, no, no. He's one of the most iconic composers in film today. And music is such a big part of Villeneuve's movies, too. There's a real sophistication to his use of sound and score. It feels mm. natural, but then it also elevates the grandness of the film. Oh, I couldn't have said it better. I think Hans Zimmer's, you know, when, when I watched the film, the score captures you immediately mm-hmm. with that bass at the opening. Like straight away, I was like, boom, there's Zims, there he mm. is. And I can't wait to explore what he what he offers. And he throws in things like, whether or not it's the right word, but chanting. Mm. There's bagpipes in his score. There's even a <laughs> yes. moment where someone actually gets the bagpipe out. And I'm like, okay, that's random. I wasn't expecting a bagpipe. Um, yeah. And then like that drone feel. And I think mm. what Hans Zimmer achieves with all his projects, we'd certainly see it in his collaborations with Christopher Nolan in the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm. It's a full sound that is completely transformative. Yeah. It's barely off. It's barely silent. There's always something happening. Mm. But there is an interesting use of silence in yeah. this film too. It's almost deafening in places. Did you notice some of those moments? And they really pull you in. I think it was in one of the sandstorms. Is that what you're referring Maybe, to? Maybe, yes, just after it. And yeah. Go, and it's dead silent. Yeah. I mean, silence when used right is as impactful as the strings to make you feel something. Mm. So when you get it right, boom, huge. And we mentioned the cinematographer, Ozzy Grieg Fraser. Mm. He has worked on Australia, the epic starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and he's working on the upcoming The Batman too. So I'm really excited to see his work in that. His filmography, amazing. Australia, stunning. Rogue One, incredible. And yeah, The Batman is like super gritty, Mm. isn't it? Can't wait to see that too. He's got some really beautifully framed shots in this film that just immerse you in all these different worlds. I could almost feel the rough sand whipping me in the face. How about you? Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Dodging all these sand particles. And I think how they really achieved that sort of visceral feeling that you Mm. took away is that majority of the film, believe it or not, at such a scale and scope, was done majority in camera. Yes. Yeah. They They had to go and research and find a particular type of sand. I think I read somewhere that they spent eight or ten weeks researching to find the right sand to throw up in the actors' faces and stuff like goodness. I'm finding myself so drawn to filmmakers who do most of their work in camera. Think of Chloe Zhao in Eternals Mm. and Nomadland. Yes, Now, Dennis Villeneuve in Dune. And this is a movie that could have been just CGI'd out of its mind. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, there are special effects in here. But the the marriage between it, that 
that blur is so hard to find mm. and you can only achieve that when you put that effort into the sets and the in-camera effects and to all that level of detail and craftsmanship to realise that and the CGI then pops. Yeah, 100%. And speaking of the special effects, mm. I found the special effects so captivating and just not out of place, as you said, mm. very natural. I just believed this world completely. How about you? Oh, I, it. the thing, I was struggling to find words and I don't have many because it's hard to like talk too much about something that's so good um, without it sounding like this massive puff piece. But I've just got one word and the, the, the special effects is flawless. Yeah. Like absolutely flawless. I was going to say, I think we've used all the words in yeah, Well, that's why I was struggling <laughs> and stumbling because I'm like, what has Lee not used? <laughs> I think as well the sandworms are a huge character in this piece mm. and they obviously are CGI'd. Yeah. But it shows just enough of them to give you the sense of them and the mm. way the sand moves around them, you know, mm. the way everything caves into their mouths was just astonishing. The level of detail in that CGI was out of this world. Goodness. Forgive the pun. <laughs> <laughs> Forgiven. I think, obviously, th this is no secret or surprise. Dennis and his team clearly leaning on the whole th uh, trope that Spielberg started back in 1975 with Jaws, mm. where you don't show, you don't reveal the villain, the monster. You It's foreboding. It's there. Mm. You tease. And I think that they absolutely nailed that sentiment with the worms yeah. because you – you, you got one or two hero shots of them, but mm. you still didn't see it all, but you were just terrified all the same and you knew that there was danger. Danger was made very, very clear yeah. despite you not seeing so much and I thought that was really, really effective. Oh, I've got chills. <laughs> Are they multiplying? <laughs> we have to talk about the cast. Oh, my goodness. Too. Oh, my goodness. A cast of thousands. We'll just pick out a few. Yeah. Uh, Paul, mm -hmm. played by Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet, Of yes. course is your typical reluctant hero with power and purpose that he doesn't yet understand. Mm. And I know Dennis Villeneuve has said that Timothy Chalamet was his first and only choice. Yeah. You know, the character of Paul is 15 or 16. I think Timothy is in his early, early 20s. 20s. Um, he still gets away with it. He has yeah. that youth, but he also has that nobility. Mm. What did you think of oh, him? I thought he was incredible. He's an incredibly thoughtful actor. And that's something that really comes through in his performance. And it's something that you feel, right? You, mm. you really felt for him because we were learning along with him. That's how a lot of the exposition comes through him, as we mentioned. So you have a real connection and you need an actor that can pull you in and progress where this story is ultimately headed. Yeah. And you believe that his fate is to lead the people because of his charisma as an actor and I, I'm glad that Dennis only had sights for him because you, again, can't imagine anyone else in those shoes. You also get Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. That's yes. the role that Virginia Madsen, I believe, played in the 1984 yes. version. There you go. She's beautiful. My gosh. Love her and everything. Obsessed. And she was fantastic in this. I'm obsessed with the sign language that her character was using to signal when she was in danger or she needed something. It was very clever. Do you know if that was something that is unique to the film in that world? Is that real sign language? I don't know. Oh, I would love to know that actually. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, the noble leader of the House of Atreides, Duke Leto, played by Oscar Isaac, who I'm mm. just loving. He's everywhere at the moment and, you know, he's a loving father and fair ruler in this. Mm. Love it. He, he performs with such conviction and credible focus, mm. doesn't he? You know, he's there to make a difference and you believe that. 
but will his fate allow him mm. to do that? And that's kind of what's explored in this film as well. And I think the roles that Oscar Isaac is doing at the moment, they're also incredibly diverse, but he's nailing mm. them all. He Absolutely really is an actor of his generation. Yeah. Oh, yes. Look, these are a lot of sound bites in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> one that really stood out for me though, and I'd love to know your thoughts. Maybe you lead this one. Okay. Jason Momoa. Tell me your thoughts on Jason Momoa. My man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like he was a legendary sword master um, and a warrior. Duncan Idaho was his character's mm. name. I wanted more from him. I, f- I found him, if there's charisma oozing out of an actor, it's mm. Jason Momoa. We see him do these sorts mm. of roles time and time again. But what I really loved about his character was his relationship with Paul. Yeah. And you had to believe that. And Jason Momoa, he has one of the most important lines in the film and it's dreams make good stories, but everything important happens when you're yes. awake and that sits with you and stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah, love that line. Absolutely loved it. But he really you said we've seen him in roles like this before. Mm. But I don't haven't seen him like this before. In what way? In that he was more I felt natural. Yeah. Everything that was flowing out of him was so natural. The bond between him and yeah. Timothy Chalamet felt so natural. And Convincing. he was enjoyable. He was charismatic. And I won't agree with you that he's charismatic in everything that he does. I enjoy a lot of what he does. Sure. But I see him playing a character. And in this, it all just flowed so naturally out of him and I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I mean, that always comes down to the skill of an actor and the strength of the script and the direction that brings it to life. So it's amazing. Everything is just being married so well in here. Yeah, beautiful. There's so many characters we could talk about. Josh Brolin. Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem, Zendaya. Well, can I just say something about Zendaya? Mm. Sorry to cut you off. She spent two hours looking longingly in the distance, brooding and <laughs> mysterious. She literally almost, almost had nothing else to do but that. True. <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course, they're setting her up for yes. important stakes mm. in part two. Here we are talking about part two as much as we are part one. Mm. But, yeah, she can look into the distance any day. But that's what I mean. We're talking so much about part two as well. Mm. They're they're inextricably linked and Mm. that was what was so interesting to me because they are so linked and what would have happened if it wasn't green lit? Well, they left us high and dry. We're clearly excited about part two. Yeah. How often do you talk about a film and spend 40% of it talking about what's still to come? I mean, that's pretty (laughs) extraordinary, isn't it? Like straight immediately. Yeah. Shall we wrap up our review of June, Tim? Yeah, let's give it a red hot crack. So Dune is a visually grand blockbuster that sets the scene on a huge scale with exciting action dotted throughout it. Villeneuve immerses us in this world so fully with his eye for cinematic grandeur that you can't help but be swept away by the sci-fi fantasy with actors who play their parts so well. It is a setup though and it can be a bit slow to build to that but Dune is just utterly captivating and successful at making us yearn for the next part. Mm. See it on the biggest screen you can find with surround sound. I cannot stress that enough. Oh, yeah. I'm giving Dune four popcorn kernels out of five. Amazing. Well, goodness gracious me, Lee, what a film. My expectations were huge. It was inescapable with the bars about town and it delivered in almost every way. There is no fault I have visually, no fault I have to the scale in which such an intimate story was told, no fault in how beautifully it represented cultures through its costume, hair, makeup and production design. But the small problem I had was that it left me wanting more, so much more. 
its biggest issue is that it's held back as a part one, leaving behind incredible intrigue and mystery and excitement for part two, if you haven't gathered that from what we've discussed already, but in some way leaves the story feeling a little hollow, just a little. An unavoidable casualty of waiting for a sequel to complete the journey, perhaps. But I am ready and waiting, and 2023 cannot come soon enough. I, too, Lee, am going to rate June for Popcorn Kernels. Well, there you have it, guys. June is in Australian cinemas from December 2nd. It's been out in the US for a while, but we can finally join them. Before we jump into the news, Tim, I want to talk about this beautiful little documentary called Stray, which is in cinemas now. Stray explores what it means to live as a being without status or security and it follows three stray dogs surviving on the streets as they embark on this inconspicuous journey through Turkish society. Zaytan is fiercely independent and adventures through the city at night. Nazar is nurturing and protective, easily befriending the humans around her, while Kartal is a shy puppy living on the outskirts of a construction site. The dogs' disparate lives intersect when they form bonds with a group of young Syrians who share the streets with them. Gosh, what a powerful story. Uh, Stray is written and directed by Elizabeth Lowe and stars Zayton, Nazar and Kartal as the stray dogs featuring in the documentary. Now, movies like this about animals just Mm. punch me in the gut. They do, don't they? Even when they're not really sad it's yeah. a, it's a beautiful kind of sad yeah isn't it the, the film opens with this quote which like i had to write it mm. down straight away i thought about it the entire way through human beings live artificially and hypocritically and would do well to study the dog and that sets things up beautifully because for the next hour and 10 minutes it's quite a short piece mm. We are studying three dogs live out their lives and you observe them through a very different lens as a result of that quote. Mm. And this is all about experience, isn't it? It isn't about action. It isn't mm. about twisting plots. Yeah. It is, it's about experiencing something that we cannot fully understand and we get this glimpse into this world. It's meant to be a fully immersive experience that will not only help us see through the eyes of the dogs mm. but also attempts to put you in their mindset. Yeah, oh, immersive. That's absolutely true. And I loved how the dogs were roaming the streets of Istanbul and you picked up fragments of human conversations. I found that so fascinating yes. as a choice. Conversations that were political, um, conversations about relationships and couple arguments. There was one in a cafe mm. which was fascinating. I loved that playing out. And also the sounds of the city as well, praying through nearby mosques yeah. and the sounds of a woman's day protest as well, mm. just following the lives of these dogs and kind of dipping in and out of things. It was really quite stunning. They're part of this world, but also apart from it. Yes. Yes. Oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> I like that Stray doesn't explain this foreign existence to us. It simply shows us it's a simple and beautiful and sometimes emotional snapshot. Mm. Mm. I'm going to give Stray four popcorn kernels out of five. Stray is an incredibly engaging story, heartfelt and tragic. It's deeply intimate and what a privilege it was mm. for Zayton, Nazar and Cartel to invite us into their lives. I'm going to rate Stray four popcorn kernels. Privilege. I like that word. <laughs> well, as we said, Stray is in Australian cinemas now. I believe select Australian cinemas, so check your local guide for listing times let's jump into news and trailers now lee trailers are getting longer and longer these days aren't they but nothing quite as long as what we got for jurassic world 
Dominion this week, Universal released a special prologue that delivered in scale and dinosaur action and helps us understand where the world is at when Dominion begins. That's right. The sequence will not be featured in the film itself, but it serves as the beginning of a story that will be continued in cinemas mid-next year when Dominion finally roars onto the big screen. I find that really interesting. There's a lot of cost to produce something like that and it's not even part of the film no incredible well this prologue also sent us back 65 million years no less into the past to experience the world before humans existed and offers a glimpse of a world in which dinosaurs are living among us after the events of 2018's jurassic world fallen kingdom It also features seven new species of dinosaurs that have never been seen in a Jurassic film before. And the film is expected to hit Australian cinemas in June 2022. And of course, the return of Laura Dern, Sam (sighs) Neill, Jeff Goldblum. Yay! I can't wait to see first look at Mm. them in the trailer coming up. If you want to have a look at the prologue, check it out on our YouTube page. So the box office underperformance of The Last Jewel has millennials to thank. (laughs) Bloody millennials. (laughs) According to director Ridley Scott. So just to explain how much of a financial failure this was, the film took only US $27 on a US $100 million budget. This film really flew under the radar in Australia, I think. It did, you're right. I didn't even get to see it. I saw it and loved it. I encourage you to see it. It's really good. I've heard it's really good. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, was that a marketing problem then? Has to be. Has to be. Not millennials. (laughs) Bloody millennials. Ridley Scott said, I think what it boils down to, what we've got today, are the audiences who were brought up on these fucking cell phones. The millennium do not – the millennium – I'm going to refer to myself as a millennial. Actually, I don't think I'm a millennial. No, I think we are. Are we? Yeah. What year does that cover? I think it's the. I think it's 1980. Is it? Or 1982, somewhere around there. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the beginning. We came of age at the yeah. millennium. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, Ridley Scott said, the millennium do not ever want to be taught anything unless you are told it on the cell phone. This is a broad stroke, but I think we're dealing with it right now with Facebook. There is misdirection that has happened where it's given the wrong kind of confidence to this latest generation, I think. What does he mean by the wrong kind of confidence? What's that got to do with the film underperforming? I have a confession to make. I actually don't know what he's talking about, and that's no disrespect to Ridley Scott. I think he's an incredible filmmaker, but I actually can't read between the lines here. It's kind of just a bit of a verbal diarrhea. Okay. Yeah. It's just a bit odd. He's a bit jaded by it, (laughs) clearly. Get off my lawn, you kids. Get off my lawn. (laughs) Oh, dear. On to the DC League of Super Pets. Yeah. We've got a trailer for this one, which got us super excited this week. The film follows Superman's dog who teams up with a flying cat to stop crime while Superman is on vacation. I love the premise of this. Well, the voice cast consists of... Dwayne Johnson, your boy, uh, Kevin Hart, Kate McKinnon, John Krasinski, uh, Natasha Leone, I love her, and Keanu Reeves and Jamila Jamil. Great voice cast there. Love it. The DC League of Super Pets will fly into Australian cinemas from May 2022. Lee, did you know that the Beatles, they have been cast in Midas Man, which is a biopic about iconic music manager Brian Epstein, who was often referred to as the fifth Beatle. Yeah, so Jonah Lees is John Lennon. Musician Blake Richardson will be Paul McCartney. Leo Harvey Elledge is George Harrison. And newcomer Campbell Wallace is Ringo Starr with Jacob Fortune Lloyd from The Queen's Gambit as Epstein and Jay Leno as the Mm. iconic talk show host. 
Johnny Carson. I have to say that's pretty meta of Jay Leno to be playing Johnny Carson because yeah. didn't he take over from The Tonight Show from Johnny Carson? Yeah, true, true. Interesting. I think. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, we, you can fact check us. The film recently actually lost its director, Jonas Auckland, due to creative differences only three weeks into filming, which forced the production to shut down, actually. It will now be directed by Welsh actress and director Sarah Sugarman. That's like worst case scenario. You've already started principal photography and your director walks off set. That is Yikes. very Auckland. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, Jim. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. All right, you take over. What's next? There are two new Three Musketeers movies coming our way in 2023 from film distributor Pathé titled The Three Musketeers D'Artagnan and The Three Musketeers Milady. Milady? Oh, my God, that's so funny. Okay, so the cast is led by Francois Civil as D'Artagnan, Eva Green as Milady de Winter, and Vincent Cassel as Athos. They are joined by Roman Duris as Armaeus and Pio Marmay as Porthos. My goodness, this is a tongue twister, Lee. Do you want to take over yeah. the rest for me? So Louis Garrel will also <laughs> star as King Louis VIII alongside Vicky Creeps as Queen Anne of Austria, who we saw Vicky in M. Night Shyamalan's Old recently. Mm, that's it. And Jacob Fortune Lloyd, who we just discussed in Midas Man, will be the Duke of Buckingham. I wish you'd taken the front half of that because mine <laughs> were clearly harder than the ones that you just took over. So are they sequels to each other then? Yes, so they, okay. they come together, yeah. Right, right. So Dennis Villeneuve, you mm. should have, like, these guys are doing it right. They're commissioned two stories back to back. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. But I love this cast. Oh, yeah, my God, unreal. Vincent Castle He's fantastic. as Athos. Oh, give me, yes, give me. Yes, please, yes, please. Well, Lee, rounding out our news for the day, we ha- do have some sad news to mm. end on. The world lost a musical theatre icon this week as award-winning composer and lyricist Stephen Sondheim passed away at the age of 91. What an innings. Yeah, so sad though. Sondheim was the genius behind Broadway hits including Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd and he wrote the lyrics in West Side Story. Gosh, what a mark he's left behind in arts Mm. and culture and our love to his family at this time. Our thoughts are with his family, definitely. All right, Lee. Goodness gracious, we've done it. Another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast. We brought you our take on June, which is in cinemas in Australia from December 2nd. We also discussed the beautiful documentary Stray, which is in select Australian cinemas, so make sure you check it out. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 